0: Hello, this is Dr. Dan Guerra coming to you from Authentic Biochemistry Studios in the Inland Pacific Northwest of the United States of America. Today is the 10th of November, 2020. We've been discussing clock, circadian clock gene activity as an association with the immune response as a potential to understand aging in humans, particularly at the level of gene expression, the alteration, of immune checkpoints during that process. And then ultimately the whole (coughs) potential to um, become infected or to generate any number of diseases that are normally associated with aging. The key ones that are associated with high morbidity and then mortality, of course, are cardiovascular heart disease, cancer, and various forms of metabolic disease. And these can be linked and cross over into having chronic infections, such as bacterial infections or viral infections. Usually viral get cleared, usually bacterial are the ones that end up being at the doorstep uh, right before people pass away, if indeed they're unhealthy for some other reason. Um, This often is associated with respiratory distress towards the end of life, Uh, And again, can be uh, elevated by multiple complications, including iatrogenic activities associated with the biomedical procedures that are being um, used, both uh, pharmacotherapy and surgery and um, other components of medical uh, therapy that are given to people late in life. Sometimes those contribute to um, certain morbidities and, uh, and then result even in uh, people becoming more ill. This happens really late in life, and it's not as well documented as you might think in the literature, but it's there if you look for it. Uh, but uh, what I wanted to get to is how the immune system um, has throughout life sculpted the genome via epigenetic signatures, such that alteration of gene expression in specific cells Um, as we age, are often maintained because of the plastic nature of epigenetic modifications, but that these are often overlooked because the alteration of epigenetic profiles isn't necessarily one that um, can be easily detected unless you're looking for it. And because this is authentic biochemistry, I want you to remember that there are tens of thousands of different gene products made just simply from transcription, but that the microarray of message that's made in any given cell type or uh, to a grander extent, organ type or tissue bed can vary even within a 24-hour period. Uh, That led us, of course, into um, uh, being able to walk through a little bit of the biological clock, specifically the um, diurnal Uh, chronicity, the day-night cycle, how that gets corrupted in the elderly, and of course, how that has been linked to um, neurodegeneration and how neurodegeneration then gives you the effect on presentation of memory and uh, otherwise alteration of conscious thought and that uh, day-night cycle interruption um, is also associated with the general decline in the pineal gland hormone melatonin. And then we talked about how melatonin has receptors, which are also involved in the production of reactive oxygen. And that, that leads into a whole discussion of a, a burst of oxidation, which can then be met with formidable, innate immune responses, and then ultimately acquired immune responses And then either in association with T-lymphocyte mediated B-cell interactions associated with the production of antibodies uh, or uh, the complete loss of that B-cell response and rather a T-cell response that can then result in a hyperimmune activity. Again, usually in the later stages of life. This is of course linked to autoimmune disorders, uh, one that comes to mind most obvious and the other are osteoarthritis. Uh, but also this is these processes can be um, exacerbated uh, and even episodically so that they don't occur. and then uh, that in- initial uh, presentation of that disorder then leads ultimately to high morbidity and mortality. Sometimes it can be episodic in nature. And part of that episodic chronicity may be linked to the biological clock. So we've got a little bit of discussion of that. Again, this is a generic intro, but um, I wanted to make sure I bring it on because uh, just like I did uh, yesterday, we're going to go right back into some serious discussion. So again, this is the 10th of November. You're listening to Authentic Biochemistry, and I'm Dr. Dan Guerra. Uh, And I title this talk just simply The Clock Immune Axis Continued cause we're well into it. If you've been listening to me, you know, uh, where we're headed. Um, okay. So last time we were talking about the fact that bacteria, particularly the LPS fragment, uh, little polysaccharide, can activate TLR four that's toll-like receptor four. And the toll-like receptor four as we're going to see in a minute can induce the, um, myeloid differentiation protein called mid 88 that signals from dendritic cells. So this is occurring now in dendritic cells. You have the TLR binding to LPS from bacteria. This is inducing now an immune response because it's triggering mid 88 signaling in dendritic cells. So here you're getting bacterial signaling relayed now through the dendritic cell. And then there's a subsequent relay of this innate immune response to group three innate lymphoid cells, those are ILC3s. And then through that interaction, you get the production of cytokine uh, IL-23, and then uh, that comes from the ILC3, and then you get further signaling to the epithelium where these immune cells have been activated, and the epithelium then will produce interleukin-22, another pro-inflammatory cytokine. Now, we mentioned briefly that you have ID2-deficient mice. Now, more on ID2 later, uh, so we'll get back to it. But if you ha- you look at ID2-deficient mice, which can be uh, produced because of transgenics, <clears throat> if you make them deficient uh, as a conditional lethal, they will lack all known ILC subsets. It's conditionally lethal because if they ever exposed to an infection, chances are they won't survive that infection. So if you get rid of a gene called ID2, you also lose all ILCs, right? Remember, these are innate like uh, T lymphocytes, right? That's what these are. So that means this whole process is going to be uh, abruptly stopped right at the level of transitioning from the um, dendritic cell that was induced via its TLR, mid-88 because of LPS shedded from the bacteria, the production of LPS from the cell wall of the bacterium. So ID2-deficient mice, which lack all known ILC subsets, showed an increase in the REV herb alpha expression. Remember, that is an inhibitor or a uh, transcription factor which binds to the, um, normally, to the retinoic acid orphan receptor uh, either Roar or Roar Gamma T, and then that changes the valence and, and chronicity uh, and periodicity of the uh, Zeitgeber, which is a light-dark cycle, which is relative to the diurnal fluctuation of the biological clock. We also mentioned that melatonin is another one of these, uh, it's a, this molecule that that is going to be induced, uh, produced from the pineal gland, they can act like a light, dark cycle and that they, they work in communion in many ways. And you know that melatonin decreases with aging because I recently brought that up to you. <clears throat> now, all of that, you get Rev herb alpha expression and you get, whenever you get that, you get a consequent decrease in this other transcription factor called Infil-3. And that happens all in the small intestinal epithelium. Now, consistent with that is a requirement of ILCs in regulating then the REV herb alpha expression. So if you look at RAG1 minus mice, double negative mice, now RAG is, uh, region, uh, is a gene uh, product which controls recombination, which is associated with T cell receptors and also recombination, which is associated with immunoglobulin production, okay? so you get a recombination event a somatic recombination event whenever you synthesize a specific molecular species of the T cell receptor or of the immunoglobulin initially IgM but then also the IgG series after full uh, induction of the innate, of the acquired immune response after innate induction so we're still in the innate phase here right because we're looking at innate like T lymphocytes so if you look at rev Herb alpha expression and you're looking at RAG1-mice, minus so you don't have the ability to make uh, an effective repertoire of TCR, uh, T cell receptor or immunoglobulin uh, recombined forms. That means you're basically lacking both T and B cells, okay? This shows a decreased epithelial REV-ERB-alpha expression and actually an increase in INFIL-3 expression. So you've got two different model systems here that you can work with. Now, the fact that INFIL-3 expression was higher in RAG1 minus mice, okay, rather than in conventional wild-type mice, probably due to the fact that you have elevated bacterial loads, as well as an elaborate uh, and aberrant expansion of ILC3, right? These are the innate-like T lymphocytes because you don't have any longer um, frank uh, T lymphocytes, right? card carrying. So in the small intestine of these mice, this, uh, that's what occurs. So that suggests that both the T and B cells are not required for the induction of infill 3 expression. Now that's an important point to keep in mind. You see how there are multiple pathways to generate an immune response. That's what we're saying here. Now, raw gamma T deficient mice, which lack both Th17 cells and the ILC3s. So you have Frank, Th17, those are good, strong effector cells of the t upper lineage and ILCs, which I'm telling you are innate-like T lymphocytes. When you have Rorogamma T-deficient mice and they lack them both, Th17 and ILC3, they actually show a circadian Reb-Herb-Alpha Enfil-3 expression pattern that's very similar to those of germ-free mice, okay? So that obtains that, uh, what, what that uh, observation obtains is that ILC3s are required for microbiota induction of INFIL3 expression through the reverb alpha pathway, right? So treatment of mid-88-minus mice with recombinant interleukin 23 or 22, remember those were coming from that whole axis from the dendritic cell pathway, right? And then ultimately to the ILC3s. If you're looking at, at the expression of those, uh, of the REV, ERB, alpha, and then three expression in wild type conventional levels, supports the idea that sub epithelial dendritic cell ILC3 circuit relays relays microbiota signals to the epithelia cell and that that ultimately is the regulatory pathway towards infill three expression. Okay. So again, the rev Herb, Alpha, and infill three expression patterns that were similar to those of germ-free mice obtain the ILC3, which are of course required for microbiota induction of infill three expression through that rev Herb, Alpha pathway. So you get that now. So you can also look at another way. I wanna bring this up. It may also be regulated by serum factors. This whole system could be regulated by serum factors that associate with endocrine associated feeding cycles. And one of those can be adipokines, right? And we've talked about that in the past. I'm not gonna go into detail. I just want you to recall that this does not work um, in a monochromic environment. The pathway we're talking about here in the paper that we're discussing is particularly looking at this whole process at the epithelium in the small intestine, but it's not looking at any possible serum factors. And we already know there are several. And we also know that CCK8 works in the, in the small intestine, and that links digestion and therefore nutrition to the activation of adipokines, which of course are going to be primarily synthesized from the adipose, all of which is associated with nutrition. And all where this paper is trying to go. Uh, linking nutrition with, remember, bacterial cell populations in germ-free mice that they've added back, right? Now, I want to remind you a little bit about the TLR-4. This customer paper published in Virus Research in 2018 in September. It's volume, let's see here, 256, and it's pages 107 to 116. I just looked at this paper last night. It tells me that engagement of toll-like receptor 4 ligand, which of course is the LPS or the polysaccharide. So when you get LPS with TLR4 in mammals, it activates two downstream intracellular signaling routes, not just the one we've been mentioning, which is the myeloid differentiation primary response gene, which is mid 88. So you have a mid 88 dependent TLR4 downstream processing of bacterial load onto that receptor, but you also have a mid 88 independent pathway. Yeah, that wasn't mentioned in the paper we've been analyzing here, right? Now, saying that, existence of that latter pathway, that mid 88 independent pathway, leading to the production of type one interferons, now this is in birds, so an avian species, has been debated due to a lot of conflicting observations in the literature. So this paper, this virus research paper, wanted to know whether or not LPS will basically induce type one interferon production in chicken macrophage, or at macrophages now, and that that could lead to an antiviral response, which is attributable, of course, to type one interferons. And indeed, what they found was that LPS does elicit a type one interferon response particularly dominated by interferon beta. And they also found in this paper that a reduction in infectious laryngeotracheitis virus, that's the ILTV, the avian ILTV. So reduction in the infectious ILTV replication by LPS mediated antiviral response was indeed attributable to this type one interferon. And one other uh, mo- molecular product was also associated with that was the induction of nitric oxide. So what they found, or uh, they believe, is that LPS elicits both the mid88 dependent and the independent pathway in chicken macrophage, and that consequently elicits an anti-ILTB, that's the virus response, and that's attributable to the production of both type one. Interferons and, and nitric oxide. Now, why did I tell you all that? Because I want you to come to grips with the fact that when I go deep for a deep dive into a paper and I've explained to you what the paper is talking about, like small intestine here in mammals, that other people have done studies that may not be associated with that mammalian work at all. Because remember, they're looking at the circadian clock and nutrition and how. Gut bacteria seem to be related to high fat diet linked to obesity, and high circulating triacylglycerol and insulin resistance, right? Um, and glucose intolerance. Remember the whole part of that paper that we started on just last lecture, which was actually was yesterday. Well, that's all going on. And that's, been, that's what the paper that we're, we were first initially uh, examining told us. I can go into literature and find a paper that was published after that one. And I can tell you, oh, well, look what's going on in the avian system. I can tell you that this is very similar to what happens in mammals. These people were looking at the avian system because the avian system is real good for studying viral load. Okay, um, So it basically is a model system. So let's go back to this ID2 that we we're talking about, right? Remember I brought that up? You had ID2 uh, minus uh, a mice, right? And we again, that was from a, a transformation experiment so they can... Uh, They can delete that gene in living mice because otherwise it would probably be lethal. So we could call that a conditional lethal in general classical genetics. It's not gonna be used as a lethal here. Let's go back and talk about ID2. This is a paper published way back in 2004 in journal Gut. It's 2004, uh, volume, let me see here, 53, and the pages are 40 to 46. Now, what this paper tells me is this. ID2 is required for intraepithelial lymphocytes, ILE, IELs, and they constitute the normal mucosal barrier layer in the intestine. And this demonstrates a novel aspect of in vivo function of this ID2, this gene product, which was shown to be required for differentiation of various cell types of the immune system. And that's something we talked about just 10 minutes ago. Okay, consistent with the finding that ID2 expression in these intraepithelial lymphocytes, these IELs, they found a generalized reduction in the number of these IELs when you made an ID2 double knockout mouse, right? Both alleles gone. So they're saying the reduction was more pronounced in thymus-derived CD4 positive and CD8 alpha beta positive T cell subsets and that leads to an alteration of the subset profile subsequently. So the two subsets of the IELs of the ID2 double-negative knockout mice was so also found to express decreased levels of omega-E integrin. Furthermore, bone marrow transplantation experiments demonstrated the defects were intrinsic to bone marrow-derived cells of that ID2 double-knockout mouse. In addition to all of that, the phenotype they found from these IELs with the double knockout uh, ID2 double knockout were found to have an impaired ability to produce cytokines, which is what we've just been talking about for a paper, the two papers previously, and that's all thought to play an important role in this 2004 paper in maintaining a mucosal defense system in the intestinal tract. See, so this is a precursor paper to the one we've been looking at. So their findings strengthen the idea that ID2 is indeed an essential molecule for your establishment of the immune system in the uh, small intestine, and that it protects from invading microorganisms. They go on to tell you a decrease in the number of lymphocytes that are, that are observed in ID2 minus mice is a phenomenon that selectively affects the intraepithelial lymphocytes, because there isn't an impairment in splenocytes or thymocytes in ID2 mice. Okay. They're saying, already the intraepithelial lymphocytes that are located in the small intestine, the ones being affected here because of this ID2 population, not from naive cells, come from a spleen from the thymus. You get that? So currently not known why these um, IELs, these intraepithelial lymphocytes of the ID2 double knockout mouse were decreased holistically irrespective of that entire T cell subset. Although they think the phenotypes of the ID gene family, which are expressed in each of the T cell subsets of these IELs, probably implies a distinct role for ID2 in the development, survival, and proliferation of the lymphocytes, specifically in the intestine. And that's exactly what we found now years later in this paper. We're talking about the 2017 paper in science. So as ID proteins negatively regulate the function of these integrin E proteins, A type A, uh, basic helix loop, helix transcription factor. The balance between the activities of ID2 and these E proteins, which function as transcription factors, may be important for the development and our maintenance then ultimately of these intraepithelial lymphocytes. So they're saying selectively diminished expression of the alpha E integrin in the CD4 positive, CD8 alpha beta plus positive, intraepithelial lymphocyte population of ID2 double knockout mouse compared with other adhesion molecules showed that adhesion molecules play an indispensable role in maintaining the intestinal immune cells and the alpha EB integrin mediates the binding of the ILs ultimately um, to whatever's going on in the interstitial space that's usually an infection and it's done so with interactions with e-cadherin so that means that you have the intraepithelial lymphocyte population now being able to interact with the intraepithelial cells okay and it's mediated again by this process that's linked up with this id gene expression okay the id gene that, that's the important point because it works through the e-cadherin which is all relatively logically uh, uh, linear in my opinion. So remember that that interaction with E cadherin is important because it's it's a membrane protein and we know that it has uh, what are known as homophilic interactions with adherent junctions and that this alpha-E integrin-deficient mouse usually shows substantially reduced number of the IELs, those are the lymphocytes. So the EK adherent expression now in the intraepithelial cells lining the small intestine of the ID2 mice is actually normal, but you get an impaired expression, nevertheless, of the alpha E integrin in the thymus derived uh, IELs. And those subsets can be found by just looking at molecular signatures. So that might explain why there's a number of thymus-derived IELs that are more severely reduced than the extra thymically-derived subsets. And that even supports uh, the possibility that the alpha-E beta integrin is important for the intraepithelial lymphocyte production. Okay, so they're linking now the ID2 to the, to the alpha-E for the IEL, that cell type. So ultimately you're saying ID2 may be involved in regulating um, L- epsilon expression. And that, that does so by inhibiting the activity of some of these transcription factors, the BHLH types, uh, basic helix loop helix types. And that, that overall, this is the, what they they were recommending back in 2004 suppresses expression of those cell types, but they're not sure about how those detailed mechanisms work. Now we know how those detailed mechanisms work. They work through that infill three pathway, right? And we know that infill three, is ultimately going to be regulating T cell subsets, okay? That's the important take-home message I want you to get right now. Now, we're almost ready to wrap up here. So, let me just get to this point here. Just to conclude what that whole paper said, that Gut 2004 paper said, the id 2 gene seems to be essential, and we're gonna say it's essential for Creating or constituting the, inter, the intestinal mucosal barrier, and probably that's linked to these intraepithelial lymphocytes because ID two is found there. Because you get an ID two null mutant mouse uh, now available to the literature, and that's what they used for years after that. And they're suggesting that's going to be a good experimental model. Indeed, it was. Okay, so we're gonna. Do a final discussion uh, discussion of the gastrointestinal tract. Let me see if I've got enough time here or if I'm going to leave this for next time. Yeah, I think I, I do. Let's go through this quickly. So, the GI tract, then they recommended, probably serves as a major site for primary infection as well as the entry of pathogens and immune response and mucosal service. So, this would be the microbiota and that, uh, the healthy microbiota, and that, that provides a first barrier for invading pathogens, obviously. So, these the epithelial lymphocytes have a predominant role in excluding pathogens in the intestine because they have a cytolytic activity, of course, because they're lymphocytes, and also they can produce pro-inflammatory cytokines, right? And so what they what they found was that if you have impaired number of IELs of these lymphocytes and therefore impaired cytokine production, you also get an impaired intraepithelial epithelial um, cell mediated nutritional uh, control over digestion and detoxification systems, which we haven't talked about today, but that's also responsible somewhat to the level of high levels of reactive oxygen in an infected, um, small intestine. So this is ultimately the important issue here that this ID2 gene expression allowed them, this is before they were really developing a full scenario of how this works, for example, with biological clock, was able to tell them that they were that these processes were linked together at the level of transcription factor, mediated interactions of intraepithelial lymphocytes. Uh, and now we know some of those um, are going to be ILCs and the ILCs are gonna be functioning through dendritic cells and the dendritic cells are gonna be triggered then by lipopolysaccharide from bacteria that are residing or eventually then degrading and dying in the small intestine and this is an aquipoise then that is also linked because it's ultimately uh, going to map out to infil three right because of that herb beta pathway and you have synchronicity and chronicity of what's going on in the gut in terms of nutrition as well as to an immune response and infection uh, um, presentation that ultimately, if there is any mutation in one of these key genes, like the INFIL-3, you're gonna end up then with high morbidity as you age. And that's the take home message